My name's Angie. It's really good to be up here and preaching to you this morning. I'm really excited to be up here and back in the pulpit. Um, it's always just an honor and a privilege to do this. We've been um, looking at a series about David, the life of David in the Bible that you can find in the book of Samuel and the book of Kings. You'll find the, the story and the account of David. And we've entitled our whole series, Dave the Everyday Hero. And we're all taking different aspects of his life. It's actually quite a, uh, lots of accounts of David. And it's actually quite difficult to summarize and pick one a different aspect and area. But I chose the area of family with David. And I actually t- titled my talk today, Daddy Dave. Because we're going to be looking at David, who was a daddy, who had lots of children. And we're going to have looking at him as a father. You know, Daddy Day for us in a household, and our household, has um, a different meaning in some ways. We've actually ha- used that phrase over the years. You see, we have three children, Steve and I. We have Josh, Becky, and Megan. And when Megan was about three or four, I remember, I think we were at a camp at the time, and she ran over to Steve's brother, who's called Dave, and hugged him from behind, thinking that it was Daddy and then realized that it wasn't her daddy, but it was Uncle Dave. And from that moment on, I said to her, it wasn't daddy, but it was Daddy Dave, because he was kind of a figure of uh, daddy in her life. And so I thought maybe you might want to see a photograph of Daddy Dave. What do you reckon? If you think that he looks a little bit like Steve. Yes? No? He's denying it. He's denying it. But we always think they look very alike. I guess we might have to shave his hair to actually make him a little bit more similar these days. But actually, he's 14 years older. He's not younger than he's 14 years older. I'll just point that one out. Actually, I think probably this guy is, looks a bit more like Sue's brother, don't you think? He's actually got a similar voice as well. Of course, the photo needs to have a little less hair these days, but he's shaved, not bald, he tells me most mornings. It's nothing to do with age, okay? I'll just leave that one right there. But Daddy Dave, it's an appropriate theme and title because Megan saw something in Uncle Dave that she saw as a daddy figure. And you may not be in this room as a a natural father, biological father, but I want to speak to all the Daddy Daves in this room today, and maybe potential Daddy Daves in in this room. And I often talk to women, and I often talk to women's groups, and I have the Breathe Conference and love being around the women. But I really sense that God wants me to speak to the men and the guys today. So you women can listen in and be part of what's, what's going on here this morning. But I particularly want to talk to the men because we're looking at the life of a guy called David, Daddy Dave, an everyday hero. You see, this man was an everyday hero. He was an ordinary guy. And I'm going to pick up the story in 2 Samuel when he had a, a, a word, he had an um, interpretation of a word, a message that was given to a Nathan, a prophet called Nathan, actually went to David and gave him a word. And I'm going to read that, and that's in your notes here, just some of the scripture here. It says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. 
and your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David needed a successor. David was having this promise from the Lord that there will be somebody who will follow and God will strengthen his house and God will use him to build a house for his name, to build a temple where God could reside. Verse 14 says, I will be his father and he will be my son. What a promise that was given right there. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. And David's prayer, I love it. I love his prayer, his response. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, Lord? Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this for? Don't you feel like that sometimes in life? You think, who am I, Lord, that you've put your hand of blessing over me and my family, that you've brought me this far? And as if this was not enough in your sight, he carries on. Sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of your house, the house of your servant, and this decree, Sovereign Lord, is for a mere human, a mere man. You see, David knew that he was human. He knew that he, he was a humble guy. He knew that there wasn't kind of grandeur in him himself. But actually, it was a gracious God that chose him to be, have a destiny with him. He was aware of his failings and his weaknesses. He was human and he had his fair share of disappointments and celebrations and dreams, just as we do. The story of David, I believe, is a story of seeing into the vulnerability of the man, how vulnerable he was as a guy. You know, it's often said that in order to understand and appreciate the vulnerability of a man, a woman particularly has to appreciate her own vulnerabilities, has to actually come to the terms with the fact that actually she's not perfect either, and she has weaknesses too. You know, sometimes that can be a pressure and a struggle to realize and come to terms with our own hearts that actually seeing vulnerability in guys is it can be a struggle and a pressure but you know, the pressure is more on the guy because the pressure is to be the hero. The pressure is often to be not just a hero, but to be a superhero. A superhero that can summon the white horse at a click of her fingers and there'll be this knight in shining armor riding off on this white horse, always rescuing the female and making everything seem safe again. But you know, even knights in shining armor can have bad days too. And we need to allow the vulnerability of the man, of the guy, David, to show through, but only also in the guys that are in our lives. David was a leader with great responsibilities. He juggled the demands of family, of future succession planning, um, of his own kingdom, of ruling as a king, of a great nation. He was also a follower of God, and he wanted to follow God's ways. And that was something that he, he wanted to do and was serious about and put lots of time and effort to. He respected God and his ways. He was a hero, but he also was a bit of a rogue. He was a bit of a lovable rogue. I don't know whether you were here a few weeks ago, but we heard recently about the account of him and his liaison with Bathsheba. 
a beautiful woman who took to bathing in the open on a, on a roof, you know, in the open air. Seems a strange thing to do, but David happened to be at home at that time in the palace, and he actually saw Bathsheba. He was meant to be at war at the time. He was meant to be with his men, but actually he stayed back. At this period of his life, he was very successful. He'd spent seven years in the area of Judah. He'd reigned over there, and he'd ruled over there, but then he'd just moved to Jerusalem, and he was now king over the whole of Israel. And he was successful. He was revered. He was respected. And actually, I believe he got to the point where he thought, oh, these battles, that's for those ordinary people. After all, I'm the king. I can pick and choose what I get to do. I can, I can make my own rules up. You know, success can actually sometimes be as dangerous as failure. When we get to the point of success, what we believe about ourselves in that, we can often find that we think that we can do, break the lower laws, break some rules that exist for other people, as if it's only there for the ordinary people. We can get a little bit invincible and self-sufficient when we're successful. Sometimes we can do that in our workplace. We can think when we've actually climbed a little bit of a career ladder and we've got some sort of position within our workplace that maybe the expense claim forms, you know, won't matter if you, you juggle them just a little bit. You know, therefore, the ordinary people that have to do those correctly. Well, for me, you know, I'm a little bit superior to that and I can just do what I like. But, you know, it's what you are in the hidden. It's what you are when you're on your own. It's the integrity that when you're by yourself, that is important, not when it's in the profile, in the big front, in front of everybody. The moments behind the scenes are as important for integrity as in front. But David decided that he was there, he was in a position, he liked what he saw, and he was going to take advantage and called Bathsheba to him and slept with her, knowing she was a married woman, which was punishable by death in those days. And then he realized and found out that she was pregnant and that she was going to have a child. And he wanted to cover up his tracks and thought, what am I going to do now? And he eventually killed Bathsheba's, or managed to get Bathsheba's husband killed so that it would actually, he was free to then marry Bathsheba. And tragically, the baby died. That, they, that she bore. He married Bathsheba and brought her into the palace and supported her and loved her, even though he, he was the one a place of weakness for David. David went on to have other sons. In fact, he had 19 sons in all. Can you imagine 19 sons? That's more on the football team, isn't it? 19 sons to actually uh, bring up in the palace. He'd already had six sons at the point when he met Bathsheba. He'd think six might be enough, but no, he went on to have 19 sons. You know, we'll file that story away and then take it forward a little bit further into the story, into the account of David. He also had one daughter was named, only one daughter in his account of David that was named, and that was Tamar. And she was very beautiful. She was very lovely. And her, his oldest son, Amnon, took a liking to his half-sister, Tamar. 
and decided that actually he wanted to have her for himself. Called her in and uh, kind of tricked her into saying he was ill and brought her into his chamber and actually uh, was giving advances to her. But she was not interested and she didn't want anything to do with it and knew that it was wrong to do. But he actually then raped this girl, Tamar, and took advantage of her. I'm just going to leave it right there. I'm not going to unpack that. But in case there's any doubt, you need to have a yes in order to have consent, um, to have relationships together. But he didn't do that, and he abused his sister. His, her brother, her real brother, Absalom, took his sister then into his home to protect her and was disgusted with what was happened and was outraged. But you know, this brother Absalom was expecting the father David to do something about what had happened. But David didn't do anything. David didn't punish, he didn't admonish, he didn't do anything about the fact that this girl had been raped. Absalom could not cope with the fact that nothing had happened and we wanted to get justice. So he decided he was going to take justice into his own hands. And so he had a plot and he had Ammon killed. Does it not sound a little bit familiar like King David when things weren't working out quite right? He actually arranged for Nathan, for Bathsheba's husband, to be killed. And now the same, that history has been repeated that actually Absalom had Ammon killed because things weren't working out the way he wanted. As a result of the fact that Absalom killed Amnon, he was afraid for his life. And he ran away and he went and he fled to the Jordan for asylum. Three years he was in exile. But you know what it says of David? It says, David mourned for his son every day. Even though Absalom had killed his son, he mourned for him and he wanted to be close to him and he wanted to be next to him. He wanted him to be in his life. Finally, Absalom was allowed to return to Jerusalem. But even then, for two years, he was not allowed to be in the presence of David. He would not accept him into his presence. But you know, right of when he returned back to Jerusalem, this great ungrateful son, Absalom, decided that he wanted to actually take over the kingdom, take over, take from David the kingdom. And he started to actually topple the kingdom. He started to say to people who were coming to get counsel from King David, oh, he's too busy for you. Don't bother the king, but come and see me. I'll talk to you. I'll help you. And that slowly and slowly actually started to steal the hearts of the people. And there was a, a, a coup going on that he wanted to actually steal the hearts of the people from um, David. You know, it got to a point that actually they went into battle and Absalom decided that he was going to take over the whole kingdom and there was a great battle. David sent his commanders out to go into the battle and there's a great conflict in the forest Ephraim, east of the Jordan. Even at this point, even at this point, David was a father before he was a king. David was a father and he said, deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. Be careful. Deal gently with him. Don't punish him. Bring him back to me. But you know, the, command, the commanders there, they actually ignored that advice. 
because they could see how dangerous it was that Absalom was gaining power and oh, he was gaining rule. And so actually they, they, they hounded him and caught him. And actually it was in a tree that Absalom had really long hair. It must have been the in thing in those days. He had really long flowing hair and he was uh, riding his mule and his hair got caught up in the branch of a tree and he actually hung from this tree as the mule ran off. And the guys had caught him and actually killed him there at that tree. But you know, this is the heart of David when he heard what had happened to his son, Absalom. And this is the heart of the father. This is the heart of the father. This might not be your name, but this is God's father heart towards you. When you hear the cry of David, you're hearing the cry of a father heart. He said, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had have died for you, O Absalom, my son, my son? Would I not have given my life for you? The man, men around, they could not understand why he could love somebody who was actually taking the kingdom from him, was rebellious was destructive. Why can he still love him? But you know, that is the Father's heart towards us. That is the Father's heart towards me and towards you. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. There's nothing in us that God should love about us because we were those unruly People, sons and daughters of God that did our own thing and went our own way. We're wayward, have been wayward in our past. But the Father's heart doesn't look at the sin, but looks what the treasure and who that person is in that moment. The Father's heart was dying for that Absalom right there. You know, I think it isn't by coincidence that It was on a tree that Absalom died. It points towards Jesus that was prepared to die for us on that tree because the Father's heart was saying, I'm prepared to give my life for you. There's a reflection of Jesus even in the life of David there, right there. You know, after Absalom died, there was another attack on David's kingdom. See if I can get this name right. Adonijah, that's the one. He tried to take the throne. So his third-born son now was actually trying to take his throne. Not only was he trying, but he decided to go and get anointed. And so he got some priests and priests of David and was anointed to be king while still David was alive. That's not okay. You know, that's not the way it works. He went and got anointed while his father was still alive. Word got to David, and, they, and then Bathsheba got to hear that actually somebody was trying to take the kingdom off David. Bathsheba went to David and said to him and reminded him of the fact that their son Solomon was to be the one that would take on the kingdom from him. You know, I really believe, and we'll look at it more, but actually God had a plan and through all of this. God made a promise 
that there would be something that would happen, that there would be a, a, a pattern of a future, a house that would be established. And even though this story has twists and turns and there's so much in it, that God had a plan. And I believe there's things that we can unpack on this plan and this story. And I'm going to go through with you just a few things that I've learned about the story of David and Daddy Dave and how he treated his family. And that's where you can follow in your blanks in the notes. The first thing that I've looked at, the lessons learned, is that love is formative. Love is formative. How you parent will form the patterns of our children for the rest of their lives. It says that if you give me a child at the age of seven, I will give you the man or give you the woman. Because by the age of the seven, so many things are established in that child. When a newborn is born, the sight of a newborn, as far as as they can see, is from an arm to the eye. They actually can see, that's the distance they can see when they're first born as a newborn. So when you hold a newborn into your arms and you look into their eyes, you're looking into their soul and they're looking back into you, even from a very young age. Love is formative. The fact that you put that time and you actually look and you form in your child that sense of love and that sense of security makes a difference and an impact into that child's life. Dads, I want to say to you, you that are in this room today and those that will hear this message, dads, you are better than you think you are. You have formed more than you realize. You are more capable, more loving, and more significant than you know. You really are. You are strong, you are brave, you are loved, and you are believed in more than you know. You are significant, and what you do really matters. I've heard Dad say that, you know, it's only because of the wife, it's only because of the mother, that the child is the way that they are. That's not true. Children need fathers and need father figures. They need Daddy Daves in their lives to help them to be formed, to be true potential in who they are. Dads are the most ordinary men, as King David was, just an ordinary, mere human, just ordinary people, but men turned by love into heroes, adventurers, storytellers, and singers of songs. Well, in fact... It was that way in our house anyway. We had a singer of songs for a daddy in our house. We have three children, as I said, and two of our daughters have particularly got songs. When Megan was born, our youngest, when she was born, she was given 24 hours to live. And we didn't know whether she was going to make it or not. And when we got through that kind of crisis period and we knew that actually she was going to be okay, her dad wrote her a song. And I'm not going to sing it to you because you will not enjoy that. But the words were, Megan, Megan, beautiful, beautiful Megan. That was it. And we've heard that song for years. Megan, Megan, beautiful, beautiful Megan. From tiny to growing up to old years, in good times, in bad times, in happy times, Megan, Megan. Beautiful, beautiful Megan. If you can write songs, then write your children a song. 
because it stays in the heart and it stays in the memory and it stays of a, a conviction of love that's happening that forms something within you. Our second daughter, Becky, had a song about being a vegetarian. Of course, that's obvious, isn't it? Because if you're a vegetarian, you need a song to be written about being a vegetarian. This was announced at her 21st birthday and released. We don't have it on CD, but if you hassle him a lot, maybe one day we might hear that Becky is a veggie. And that was the title of her song. You might find it on Facebook somewhere if you're really interested in hearing it. It's quite a catchy song, actually. But uh, that was released at her 21st birthday just to embarrass her completely in front of all her friends and family. But we had a song, a classic song. You know, those memories form something in our children's lives. For Josh, it was more visit catching the biggest fish that was always this big when it came home, but reality was probably that big when it was the side of the bank, or going camping or doing something together that was really fun. These formative years, you know, we have, and for David, in those formative years, those years not to seven were actually the formative years that affected his children. They affected those, those first children that had those first sons, then his times of weaknesses, he had his most weaknesses and he also had his great successes in those times. You know, parenting is tough. It brings out the very best in us and it also brings out the very worst in us. You know, as you face weaknesses in your children, often you see a reflection of the weaknesses in yourselves and what you don't like about yourself. You know what I want to say is be kind to yourself. Be compassionate to yourself. Maybe deal with some of the things and be self-aware of what are the things that are going on in your own heart and mind when you see it reflected in your children. Find others that are not perfect either because you know the greatest gift we can often give to each other is the gift of imperfection and allowing each other to be imperfect. It was once asked from somebody on the stage that was asked, have you got any regrets? And she said, my biggest regret is not allowing my husband to make more mistakes. You see, you can shout at the kids, but often you're shouting louder at your husband for the failings. Allow each other to make mistakes. Allow each other to be imperfect because none of us are perfect. David wasn't a perfect father. But he was a loving father, and he formed something in his children. You know, the second thing that I've learned is love is approving. Most days I get an announcement, not most days, but a lot of days I get an announcement, and I'm told that I am approved. I quite like getting that announcement because it actually means when I, whatever I'm purchasing at the supermarket and I put my card on the machine, it says, approved. That means that actually I can take the goods away. I've been approved. There's finances in there. And I actually put my card on the card machine. The sign comes up, says, approved. I quite like that. It's a shame that actually it's not... We're having approval generally from people daily. It's a machine that's telling me I'm approved. But it, has, it tells me I've got the freedom to take that item away with me. I've got approval. But you know, an approval by a person, by a father, a mother, a mentor figure, actually means that you've got access to that person's heart. 
and you know that they are proud of you. They know that they are pleased with you. You know that they are for you when you have approval over your life from a father figure, a mother figure in your life. Now, Jesus heard from heaven when he was baptized the voice of the heavenly father say to him, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son. If Jesus had to hear that he was a beloved son and that father God was well pleased with him before he'd started his ministry, before he'd done any miracles, before he'd declared anything on the earth, before he actually could feel that he earned it, it was declared that you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If Jesus needed to hear it, so much more that we need to hear it as well. It's not when we approve of somebody, it's not what we've done. It's not about what we've done, it's about who we are. And when we're proud that they are our children, that are people that are supporting, that we're helping, that we're mentoring in some way, when we speak those words of approval, it does something on the inside of a reassurance. Children thrive when they know they are approved of. You know, some children need more approval than others. It's just their personality type. They need more approval than others. They might come back to you over and over again and feel like they're always in your face and they're always wanting reassurance, they're always wanting some attention. That's because they need that from you. They need that sense of approval. And you know, sometimes we don't ever grow out of that. Adults need approval too. And some personalities just need that reassurance more often than others. David didn't approve of Absalom's behavior, but he did approve of his son and the fact that he was his son. You know, on the, the cry of his heart, when he cried for Absalom, it reminds me of when Jesus was hanging on that cross. And although the people around and the people that were to come did not deserve it, Jesus hung on that cross and said, forgive them, forgive them, for they don't realize what they're doing. Forgive them. And I believe that's a word that we need to hear and that we need to, for some people in the room, that we need to forgive. The things that can pile up, let's forgive, let's let go, let's allow God's grace to minister Jesus hung on that tree for us, and we didn't deserve it. But you know, I think it's no coincidence that David and the life of Jesus has some reflections in it. The third one is love is mentoring, and I'll go quickly on these last two. Mentoring, love is mentoring. It's not that David didn't mentor his children, particularly his older children. He did. But I guess he mentored them in a way that of things that consequences of his own weaknesses they grew into. Mentoring happens in the daily moments of life. It happens when you get alongside somebody. It happens in the everyday, natural things. It's teaching, it's showing, it's communicating. You know, 
maybe we should take a child to work more often. We used to have much, much more of an apprenticeship schemes where we take a child to work. That's a good thing because it's just a natural way of showing them the environment that you're involved in. David did mentor his children, but not necessarily into the things that he really wanted to see them reflected. True mentoring, though, doesn't just show, but also will have a time and a word of challenge within it. It says about David that he never rebuked his son Adonijah by asking, why do you behave as you do? He never actually put a challenge in there. You know, when we go from the transition of a boy to a man or a girl to a child, it comes, it starts as a formation of spending lots of time doing lots of activities together. But actually when they start to get older, it becomes more of a mentoring and actually, it's not necessarily, you need to do this because this is what I think you should be doing or this is what I expect of you or I'm telling you to do it. It becomes more of a questioning and alongside saying, that is an option and that is a choice. But is this the wisest thing for you to do? What would be the wisest thing to do for you in this next step? So mentoring evolves uh, when it becomes more of a counselling situation. It's a journey of understanding together. You know, dads, you have a a bigger impact than you realise. Father figures, you have a bigger impact than you realise. And we naturally need to mentor the people around us, the sons and the daughters that are around us, and be very natural about the mentoring. I loved it this morning. One of our guys... Matt, he's probably about 19. He was mentoring a 10-year-old boy this morning on the lighting uh, rig and actually helping to top up the whole fluid thing that makes the mist there. You know, very technical. I've got the words there for that. But he's 10. Isaac's 10. Matt's 19. Matt's been around in the church for a while and had his own mentoring going on. But it's like, he's 19. What does he think he's doing But actually, it's brilliant what he's doing because he's actually showing something for a 10-year-old and taking in and nurturing and mentoring him at the age of 10. What a great, safe way for that young boy to learn something from somebody who can show him the way. How much more that we can do that in our church community, that we get alongside and we support, we mentor and encourage. And the final thing I've learned is love is saying... I love you. I love you. You see what I've done there? See if the screen can come up. My points that I had here. No, next slide. Did we get another slide? No, we don't. Yes, we did. Formative, approving, mentoring. And the final thing is I love you. And it all spells family. Daddy Dave and his family. You know, the five different love languages, there's five different ways maybe to say, I love you. You can say it verbally and you can express it and you can actually say the words. But many people enjoy being hugged, being touched, being encouraged. The rough and tumble that happens when kids are younger and the, the, the kind of uh, the, the hugging that happens as well. That's a way of saying, I love you. For other people, it will be serving and finding, helping and supporting. We had, a few weeks ago, a phone call all the way from Australia. Dad, there's a leak in the kitchen. (laughs) Australia, what do you think we're going to do? We don't think we can actually (laughs) come. It will take us two days to actually come up to do anything about that. 
What should I do? How about ring a plumber? Oh, yes, that's good. I'll ring a plumber next few days. It's all sorted now. It was a leak in the shower. Good. <laughs> Glad that we can serve and help. You know, they'll always need someone in their life that they can pick up the phone to and say, can you help me? Can you give me some advice? Can you give me some support in that? The other way of showing love, there's five areas. Another way is showing, giving gifts. That can be tangible things and tangible items, actually physically giving gifts or the gifts of self. When I was growing up, I was one of four girls and my father always brought flowers for my mother when it was my birthday. I didn't get the flowers, she got the flowers because he was thanking her for having us as children. That's four bunches of flowers, guys. That's quite a lot of flowers, isn't it, in a year that my mum was getting. But you know what that did to me as I was growing up? That showed me that actually I wanted the sort of guy that would bring flowers into my household. I wanted that type of man. My dad wasn't perfect, but he brought flowers, and my mum knew that he loved her and loved our family. You know, this week... My husband got some brownie points. He walked in with a bunch of flowers and he didn't even know I was going to say this this morning. So I think, you know, he needs a high five today. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see, what you see happening in your family household is what the expectation is in of what you want to see in the future. You know, the guys are just going to play because I really feel the overall message here from Daddy Dave from this guy who was a mere human, from a guy who knew that he didn't get it all right. He didn't get it all sorted. He had his frailties, he's had his weaknesses, he's had his vulnerabilities. But you know, the place of his ultimate weakness was that time when he took Bathsheba and he killed a man. That time was of his ultimate weakness. But you know, God didn't end the story there took his place of shame and he turned it into a place of destiny. He took that place and he took a young man called Solomon. And in Solomon, he invested his presence, he invested his relationship, he invested his time. And it says of Solomon, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given to him by his father, David. Solomon was known as the wisest man on the earth. Solomon showed his love for God by respecting the authority around him, by respecting his father, not being rebellious, but actually communing with him and following his ways of what he'd learned. I also love the fact that Solomon brought a throne into his room and on his right hand he had a throne and he asked his mum Bathsheba to sit on his throne on his right hand so that she could be part of the decisions that were happening there in the palace what a good guy Solomon but what a good God that God can cover our place of shame and bring to redemption in that place guys at times you feel like you've failed
whether it's a great fail in your eyes, whether it's a small fail, we can beat ourselves up, we can shout at ourselves and not allow ourselves to actually realize that God has called you, called you as a father, called you to have an impact that is bigger than you know, bigger than you